0: Hey everyone, my name is Alex Volkov, welcome to yet another Thursday AI. Today is Thursday, August 3rd, and it's been one hell of a week. I honestly don't remember a week as intense as this one was for me personally, but also for many of my friends, old and new, and if you followed the previous Episodes of Thursday Eye, or if you followed some of my social media accounts, you may have a slight glimpse as to why. However, even though big stuff is happening in one place, uh, I think it's very important to keep another place going. And this is a summary podcast recording of today's Thursday Eye Space, uh, which we usually record on Twitter with a bunch of friends. And later I try to summarize either manually or using AI. So I'm gonna try to do both today for you. And I hope you enjoy and definitely subscribe if you haven't yet. Just before we get started, I wanted to shout out a few friends who helped me through this week, either by just being there or supporting over the phone as there were some stressful periods. And I appreciate all of you. Thank you. You know who you are. If you're listening to this, yes, you. And with that, let's get started to summarize the latest and greatest in the world of AI since past Thursday If you've been listening to us for the past months, you know how much excitement I personally have and definitely shared with folks like Zenova and Yam and Nistan on stage about open-source models. So this week, essentially this Thursday, so both of these were released today, we saw a release of a new model called Qwen 7B from Alibaba. And uh, apparently it beats LAMA 2 30 billion parameters model on certain benchmarks uh, despite having way fewer parameters being smaller. So this one you can run on your iPhone. That's just 7 billion parameters. The authors of Gwenn also stress how well it performs in tool selection, specifically focusing the purpose of this model to use within agents and Langchain and tool retrieval and even code execution contexts. They're claiming to have more than 8K tokens. So just by comparison, Lama 2 that was released a few weeks ago has uh, 4,000 by default. When they claim up to 16, but they definitely say more than eight, which is very exciting, specifically in the context of using agents with a lot of memory. I haven't tested this model myself yet. It looks very impressive. However, just to make sure, uh, there was a different model from China called OpenGLM that claimed to be way better than GPT-3, and that did not shake out. So I recommend you guys to check out Sequence 7 b and um, see for yourselves. And then a different model also released today from a group called Alignment Labs. And we had the pleasure to chat with LTJ, and you can find that chat in the full transcription of the space that's going to be posted in the show notes. And Alignment Labs released a new model called OpenOrca. What's interesting about this is that they've claimed to replicate the Microsoft original Orca model. And as a reminder, Orca was the first model to surpass ChatGPT on the Vicuna benchmark test. Orca was the first open source model. And uh, replicating and improving on Orca has been a goal for many open source modelers. And uh, OpenOrca marks an important milestone in the if the benchmarks hold up, and we do hope they will hold up. If you don't run open models on your hardware uh, and you use ChatGPT like most of us, OpenAI rolled out some updates to their interface this week, and some of them are very interesting. I think prompt examples is helping new users to better understand how to interact with ChatGPT. And they are releasing this just before the school starts, right? And uh, we saw some interesting metrics going online that ChatGPT is starting to lose users, and I think most of us concluded that this is because, you know, school is out for the summer and it's back to school soon, and I think the prompts is going to welcome a lot of new users and help them get started. Additionally, they released chat responses which essentially other places had. Bing had this for a while. Poe.com had this for a while. I think even for uh, their GPT-4 version. And those will essentially suggest replies for you to the thing that GPT-4 just told you about, which is very interesting because this assumes that those suggestions running a different GPT-4 model know the context of the conversation and then suggest to or three, I'm not even sure how many they're showing, answers. So you can just click one instead of typing. This becomes very interesting, considering the fact that ChatGPT is free, and this is yet another way for OpenAI to collect data to make their models better. And an additional thing that I had in my mind, which may be a little crazy, is that if you just keep clicking, then it's essentially the model talks to itself which is almost agentic in behavior if you just don't even read what it suggests you just click and click additional small improvements is finally gpd4 is going to be the default and also the interface will revert back to the previous mode that you've used so if you use code interpreter and then you open a new tab you'll end on code interpreter which is really nice and you should see those changes soon appear on your account as well. An additional open source model that beat something from OpenAI was released. And this one is for the developers among the listeners of this podcast. Uh, If you use any type of embeddings, which turns your text or your users' prompts into some numbers that these models understand. Uh, you've likely used OpenAI's ADA-002 embedding model, which they keep making cheaper and faster, and so far it's used in many AI applications that do retrieval augmented generation, or RAG. And open source has caught up with ADA-002 finally, and now we have a model called GTE and GTE-Large that was released and does open source embeddings that could be useful for offline applications, or if you just don't want to pay OpenAI and send your data or your customer data in there. In multimodality news, models that can run and understand not only text, but other things like video, imagery, uh, mammography results, etc. Google released MedPalm M. Mm-hmm. So previously, they had a model called MedPalm, uh, which is based on their large language model, Palm E. Um, This one is focused on medical use cases. And MedPalm M is their attempt at doing this in a multimodal fashion. What does multimodal mean in this regard? Their model is able to take in dermatology uh, pictures, mammography scans, genomics, radiographs, radiology reports uh, and other things that are not necessarily easily translated in text within the same model architecture. And then this model can perform different tasks while taking the context of those different modalities and potentially other text and medical knowledge and references into account when generating responses. The field of AI doctors has also come under some heat this week when several interesting people started saying that nobody should ever trust AI with medical results. And I wanted to draw a line in the sand for myself. And definitely, I felt this was an agreement in the space that we had that this was just awful, awful advice, specifically because second opinion as a concept already exists for human doctors. Doctors who are currently underpaid, tired, overworked, cannot hold in their head all of the information relevant to each patient, not to mention their kind of history. And uh, I personally believe that doctors that use AI or will use AI will serve me personally better than doctors that don't. An additional point was raised about hallucinations and who's going to take responsibility when an A hallucination will come and cause a potential harm to a patient. To which I say, malpractice as a practice exists in the United States and other places. Not only that, so many people check WebMD before they go to the doctor and and show them like, Hey, I have this thing, I have that thing. I don't think AI will change that necessarily or cause significantly more harm. On the counterfactual side. Many people around the world don't have access to good healthcare. Not even good, decent, basic healthcare. And democratizing this access around the world, I think, is a novel cause. And I definitely see how AI can help third-world countries with no access to very high-paid and uh, very expensive doctors, and uh, medical staff. So, will I use an AI doctor right now to tell me how to take care of my child? No, not yet. Will I check in with it? Absolutely. Will I prefer a doctor that uses the AI over a doctor that doesn't use AI categorically? A hundred percent. If the full conversation of just about two hours interests you I'll put a link in the show notes I want to end with a brief summary of what I've been through uh, watching the world potentially invent a new kind of humanity superpower for the past week or so For some unexplained to me reason, I found myself curating the stream of information of a very obscure hashtag called LK99 very early on. Some of you may have heard some spaces I ran, some of you may join the lists on Twitter that I curated, or other spaces in AirChat and in Whatsapp. And it all started with just me trying to understand What is this thing? Then with me trying to understand, holy shit, what is this thing? And uh, as I do, I create Twitter list first, try to follow everyone there, and then try to understand with not a lot of prior knowledge, but with a lot of excitement. And something like LK99 shows potential for a lot of things to change and definitely generates excitement. So here's the short version of the best summary of the LK99 madness for the past week that I can think of. Q Center, Quantum Center for Research in Korea, is releasing a paper on archive. That paper has three authors on, on it. One of the authors, the one who released the paper, is not actually affiliated with the center. Two hours later, Hyun Tak Kim, the current, I don't know, CO, a uh, person who works there, a respected scientist, very well cited, releases another paper, looks different, talks about the same thing. What both of them talk about is a room temperature, ambient pressure, superconductor, called LK99. Now, if you don't know what superconductor is at all, superconductor is a property of material to pass current through it without Losing that current to heat. And we already have superconductors being used in MRI machines. And in different other applications. Including fusion reactors. Now, fusion reactors currently are not operational and producing energy. More energy than they take to operate. And part of the reason is. Superconductors. That those machines use need to be held in very low temperature. There's several different ones, but the gist of it is maintaining that temperature and pressure for the existing superconductor materials that we have is very expensive. The reason to use superconductors, one of the main ones is magnets, wherein if you run enough current through this material, it becomes an electromagnet, and uh, this is how we get MRI and fMRI scans of magnetic resonance and uh, this is also used in fusion reactors to contain the plasma that they use to fuse together or in other newer fusion reactors to kind of move the plasma along with huge huge magnets and in both these cases superconductors are the most powerful magnets that, that those guys can get. now. A room-temperature superconductor is, one can say, almost a holy grail of material science. In fact, good dramatization of something like a room-temperature superconductor is actually in the movie Avatar, and also almost the whole plot of the movie. It's called Unobtainium there, and essentially this is why humans invade Avatar, and they try to mine this. And uh, in some weird coincidence, the avatar world is full of floating kind of islands in the sky. Uh, and one of the properties of superconductors is something called Meissner effect, where they essentially float on top of a magnet. Which is also another use case for superconductors, which is magnetic levitation. And there have been train designs for magnetic levitation and and multiple other applications of superconductors. Room temperature superconductors mean that it will be way cheaper to produce some of the existing use cases for superconductors, but also mean many, many other potential applications for energy storage, for energy movement, for magnets and different other areas. And this obscure group of scientists from Q-Center, potentially obscure, They're not obscure anymore. They release this one paper and then the second paper, and the scientific world is already burned because they remember a previous superconductor paper and retraction where fabricated data was actually provided. And quickly, many people around the world try to start to replicate. The reason why everybody's rushing, and the reason why it's so exciting, is because... The process which QCenter released for us is fairly simple, and the materials are fairly common. It's lead and copper and some other materials. I think the main one is being red phosphorus that's uh, restricted in the US. And uh, many folks on Twitter start open source experiments. National labs around the world start not so open source experiments to replicate. And, uh, we currently believe that the first person to actually replicate this is a uh, Russian biologist named a- Iris Alexandra who showed the whole process on her Twitter account back then with like a hundred followers or so very like obscure, tiny account. And, uh, the whole process took a few days for a tiny speck of dust to kind of levitate in her part. Now, everybody's asking, does this replicate? Does the claim that LK99 actually is a room temperature ambient pressure superconductor replicate? Because this means a lot for everything. Another Twitter replication attempt came into the spotlight from Andrew McCallop an engineer in Varda space who saw this paper, read it, read the recipe (laughs) and decided, Hey, I have most of the materials. I have the lab in our office at the back of our office. And he also started live tweeting and uh, eventually showed a replication attempt on Friday, August 4th with a piece of LK-99 that levitates under a microscope when sits on top of a magnet. Now, I want to make this clear. Replication of some of the levitation attempt just adds to the credence of the papers and that what they released, the list of materials, the process to bake them together, um, is not a full fraud, it's not fake. And uh, the replication attempts to get that result have been concluded and it's pretty clear at this point that they have something. What that something is, whether or not that something is a superconductor with superconducting properties where the resistance is essentially zero, the storage of energy, all of the incredible things uh, that we expect from a room temperature superconductor, that's yet to be proven. Under microscopes of real labs, uh, huge labs with scientists um, that are checking the characterization of this material. However, this does go to show that the paper, as it was released in a messy fashion, and the fairly obscure people from Q Center, they're not lying and they're not fabricating this data. And uh, we've had many conversations during this week with him and many other. Um, friends in the group chat that I've opened and found myself in the middle of, including Iris and um, some folks from Israel and some folks from Korea who tried to get us the latest news and translate. And the world still holds its breath. Hyun Kim, the very respected scientist that raised the second paper, have gone on record and said that they're confirming and they're sure that what they have is a room-temperature superconductor. And so we still wait for a full replication. Um, The jokey meme is we wait for the rocks to float. What we have seen for sure, with a video evidence that concludes that at least the way they synthesize this material, it's a definite superconductor, but for lower temperatures. I think they talk about 100 Kelvin, which is low, still low. Remember, we already have superconductors at low temperatures. If everything else stops, just right now, many of the scientists that we've talked to last week, and I've talked to many, and I wasn't prepared for for, for this, I had to learn up really, uh, learn really quickly, many of the scientists say that it's on its own is a very significant breakthrough because the materials to synthesize LK99 are lead and copper, way cheaper than the rare earth materials of previous superconductors that also need to get uh, generated in very low temperatures. So even if we stop replication attempts, even if we don't believe Q Center that they have what they say they have, uh, we already have incredible breakthrough. However, the speed with which this sample can be generated takes around 36 hours or so, and every Every institute with the lab is probably trying to replicate something like this. And the reason why it's incredibly exciting is because it just affects everything with electricity. So I'll say again this material change that humanity could potentially unlock, we're still waiting for full confirmation. We're still waiting for this ability to um, hold some amount of current to see if this is applicable to batteries and energy storage. We're still waiting for a lot of things. However, when you talk to physicists and physicists, their mind starts flying. I want to call out one specific physicist from Finland that we've talked to who started talking about uh, planes with no motors. Uh, Planes with just the wings coated in this material potentially and then charged to ionize the air around it, for example. And uh, when physicists start to answer with why not because they are no longer restricted by these uh, very problematic materials that don't hold current well then I think it's very exciting I will say this the human element behind this is at least as interesting the whole drama about the release the professor who worked on this and then died and on his deathbed um, asked his two disciples to kind of continue his work. The origins of this go back to USSR. The people surrounding this try to replicate. Everything here is incredibly, incredibly interesting to me and some of the friends that I found this week, Sang Hyang and Ata Pai and several other folks. And I will definitely bring you more, maybe in a separate podcast, um, more information as I had been able to be part of it from the very beginning. With that, I want to thank you for listening to Third AI today. I want to again highlight how important it is to me that I'm able to talk to very smart people while being fairly un uh, unscientific myself and uh, host spaces where they can meet other people, where they can collaborate and I can bring this to you hopefully in a popular sciencey way, both for AI and uh, this uh, new field. I appreciate all of the new connections and old friends that uh, help me to do this every week. And if you like more of this, please subscribe, of course, share with your friends, and uh, we'll keep our breath held for a full floaty rock replication, and then, you know, and then acceleration happens there. With that, thank you so much for joining SarsDi, and uh, see you next week.